You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible. Hello, my name is Joe, and I am your host for The Joe Martino Show. Welcome. I hope you're having a great day wherever this episode finds you. I want to talk with you today about something that we actually talk about a lot with our clients as therapists. I find myself talking about it a lot with various people, especially recently, which was kind of what gave me the idea for this podcast, because I think how we handle this topic that we're going to talk about in large part is going to shape most of our life. It's going to shape how well we do at choosing contentment and therefore getting happiness. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to suggest that what we do with this particular topic is going to impact our overall quality of life and how we handle it. All right, let me set the stage for you for a second. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was talking to a client and I was telling them how my wife and I had a conflict disagreement that lasted almost 18 months in order for us to solve it. Now, we tried various ways to solve it through those 18 months. We would uh, disagree. Sometimes there would be tears. Sometimes there would be anger. But one of the skills that we had developed earlier in our relationship that we utilized a lot in these 18 months was this ability to pick up a conflict and put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. Uh, There was what she wanted. There was what I wanted. There were suggestions on how can we get both. How do we make this work? There was passive-aggressive, well, then I'm just not going to do it. And then there was aggressive-aggressives and, and, and all the things that normally go with a relationship. But each time when we would pick it up, we would either solve a little portion of it or we would agree that we hadn't been able to solve any of it and we would move forward together, understanding that as long as we stayed involved, eventually we would solve the problem. And we did. As far as I understand, the problem's relatively solved. Now, there's one of those things where maybe it still comes up a little bit here and there and we work it out, but we solved the problem and we've solved other problems over a long course of time. And one of the, one of my clients, actually a lot of people, when I tell them the story, they're like, that's too long. 18 months is forever. To which I always respond, is it really? You know, I'm middle-aged. 18 months is nothing. 18 months flies by. I have a daughter that's going to turn 16 and I blinked and that happened. 18 months is is nothing. If I stay married for the rest of my life, 18 months is nothing. Nothing in the grand scheme of it. I think this is where people get lost in part because they actually do think that 18 months is a long time to problem solve. They fail to put the 18 months in the context of their entire lives. And I think the bigger issue is we don't know what to do with pain and discomfort today. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about. What do we do with pain and discomfort? Most people, when I talk to them about this idea of we need to be involved in the problem-solving loop longer, we need to be willing to stay in it and then step out when we realize we can't solve the problem and move on, the part that they react to is that's going to be very uncomfortable, that's going to be painful, it's not going to be something that feels good or is enjoyable. And I think that's what causes people to, to balk at it as much as they do. 
Maybe even you, as you heard it, you're like, dude, 18 months, that's insane. Or when I said, you know, you get involved in the problem solving loop and try to solve it. And then when you realize you can't, you, you step out of it and move on. One of the questions that I often get during feedback is how do you move on if the problem isn't solved? Part of moving on is just being able to put the pro problem down and not pick it back up until it's time to pick it back up and again, try to problem solve it. In other words, you're not ignoring it. You're just saying, hey, look, we're not able to solve it right now. And this other thing in life is calling our attention. We're going to be mature adults here and just put the problem down for a moment. And then we'll pick it back up when we have time. And I think here's one of the things that people balk at is a lot of times the couples that I talk to, they lack the ability to put the problem down and pick it back up. But why is that? Might I suggest to you that the reason they don't pick it back up is usually one of two reasons. One, they just don't want to get back involved in the problem. They don't want to go back through the distress of having the conversation. Or two, and I think this one's probably more common, things get smooth. They have the absence of conflict, which we mistake for peace. And because they have this absence of conflict, they know if they bring the problem back up, they're going to go back into conflict. And they want to avoid conflict because it's uncomfortable. And most of us have a philosophy of pain that says it's supposed to be avoided at all costs. And that philosophy becomes our driving force for how we operate in almost every area of life. You ignore problems, passive aggressively bringing up comments about them because to deal with them head on would be painful. You get a bill in the mail and you ignore it. You get phone calls from a collector and you ignore them because if you ignore it, you don't have to deal with the pain, the embarrassment, the shame, whatever the negative emotion is. If you're in a conflict with your spouse, you ignore it because you just hope it gets pushed under the rug. And maybe you don't talk for two days, three days. I've even heard of people not talking for 14 days. And then one day you just start talking again. You don't actually deal with the problem. Because our philosophy is, if it feels bad, ignore it. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is, if you have a philosophy like that, you'll rarely achieve anything in life that is worth having. Almost everything that you want is on the other side of discomfort and pain. I have friends who have a great relationship. And one of the things that the wife will often say to me that causes her to be angry, right? And we don't believe anything causes rape, but invites her to anger. She gets angry about is when people say to her, I want the relationship that you and your husband have. And she'll often say to me, they don't really want our relationship because they don't want to go through the pain and the hard work that we've put in. My experience working with couples and meeting people would say that she's accurate. People don't want to put in hard work and endure pain today, right? Parenting. You hurt when your kids hurt. Sometimes they hurt for things that they did. In other words, they're experiencing natural consequences of poor choices. And if your philosophy is anything that feels bad, any pain that they experience, you have to protect them from, you'll raise adults that are in a world of hurt and pain. That's the irony of trying to avoid pain and discomfort at all costs. We usually get more pain in quantity and more severe pain as well. Right? If you try to avoid the pain of disciplining yourself, eventually someone else will step in and do it. And that's usually more painful, more hurtful, more disruptive than if you were to discipline yourself. In our pursuit of comfort, which honestly I have nothing against. I like being comfortable. 
Uh, I like my truck because it's like riding in a couch. I say that all the time. Uh, I like air conditioning because it keeps it cool. And I like heat because it keeps it warm. I like comfort. But if we pursue comfort at all costs and that becomes our number one objective, we'll never achieve emotional and mental wellness because we won't be able to achieve mental and physical wellness because those require discomfort. Healthy relationships, whether they're intimate relationships, in other words, you and your spouse, or their work relationships, they require people who are willing to engage in discomfort to deal with issues. No one truly likes being told, hey, you're not doing this right. I don't like this, or I don't like that. Or, hey, you hurt my feelings here. And we have to engage the conversation about, okay, well, you know, what does it look like done right? All the things that we talk about, they require a base ability that says, I will engage discomfort even if I don't like it. Recently, I uh, got together for a party with some friends. We're sitting around the kitchen table late at night talking. Uh, I don't know about your house growing up, but anytime I'm able to sit around the house and talk with people around the kitchen table, it reminds me of my childhood. I don't know if that's just an Italian culture thing or what, but uh, we would sit around the table. Uh, the kitchen table was the center for where most of conversation occurred in my house. And so we're doing this at this party. And we were talking about the early days of our business. My wife was there. I was there. Some friends of ours were there. And in some ways, it was the wild, wild west uh, personnel-wise. Uh, our company started out with one model. We moved to a different model. And, and you know, we kind of grew into the place that we're at now, which you know is obviously a normal part of a business growth. And it was a good time for me to reflect on the reality that I hung on to people for too long because I was afraid of conflict. I hung on to one employee for an entire year longer than I should have. Uh, I actually should have fired the individual before we ever got started. Something happened that would have been a clear like, hey, you, we can't work together anymore. I understand you're a good person, but we can't work together. But I was afraid of I, uh, I was afraid that there was a narrative running in my head uh, that I'm too too hard that uh, that I have too high a standards. And so it ran in my head and I hung on because someone said that to me and I hung on to it. right? I was talking to somebody about their business and they hung on to somebody one time because they were afraid that they would get sued. Fear of discomfort drove them. Now you're like, wait, they were afraid they were going to get sued. Yeah. But that lawsuit, they said to me, they said, I would have won. I had all the documentation, but they were afraid of the discomfort. They were afraid of the fight. Now I'm not saying you should go look for discomfort. You should go at least in the form of a fight. But if you avoid discomfort in the form of conflict, in other words, I have to agree with everybody. Everybody has to agree with me or we can't make this work. You're in real trouble. Your marriage will suffer. Your work will suffer. Now, here's what I'm talking about. I, I want to make sure I make some definitions. I'm not talking about violating the rules of communication, about yelling at people, calling them names, uh, being a jerk. I'm talking about truly engaging conflict, about being able to sit down with someone and say, hey, this happened, this is how I felt about it, even if it's negative, about engaging feeling pain, about engaging feeling negative feelings, right? So I might need to talk to my wife about something she did that hurt me. I might need to talk to my wife about something she did that I think is hurting her. And I need to approach that with wisdom and grace and kindness and mercy, but I need to approach it. If I don't approach it, I am missing out on the opportunity for growth for myself, my wife, and our relationship, and we're losing out on intimacy. 
And what I see time and time again is as people avoid this, what they do is they end up being passive aggressive. They end up making silly statements. They end up making statements that sound judgy, that sound hurtful, when if they had just legitimately addressed their legitimate concern in the first place in a way that was healthy but feels very painful and uncomfortable, they would have improved the relationship, they would have increased intimacy, and they would have helped their their spouse grow, their friend grow, whoever it is that they're in relationship with. And they would have grown because they would have built the relationship up. Imagine the situation of my friends who are in an 18-month problem-solving, solution-seeking conflict. Imagine if they had just quit at nine months. The problem didn't go away. The behaviors that were causing the distress wouldn't have gone away. They would have gotten worse. Resentment would grow. Anger would grow. Rage would grow. Bitterness would grow. Eventually, apathy sits in. And apathy, by the way, John Gottman says apathy is the best predictor we have of divorce. So they call it quits at nine months when they're literally just nine months away from a solution. It's right around the corner and they're good to go. Their relationship is deeper. Their relationship is better. The idea that two people can have deep intimacy and never bump into each other is a lie. It's a Disney movie. Now it doesn't, again, you shouldn't, you don't need to call names, argue, but you have to have conflict disagreements. You have to engage in those disagreements. That's hell. Now, not every conflict needs to be discussed. Sometimes you're just tired. In fact, uh, this morning when we woke up, I said to my wife, how'd you sleep? And she said, good, until I woke up mad at you. I'm like, whoa, what did I do? She said, well, I had it. She said, in fact, I'm still a little mad at you. I said, oh, what'd I do? And she said, well, I had a dream. I'm like, oh, well, at least I had 100% control over it. Now, obviously, she was kidding, and I was choking a little bit. But the, the that conflict doesn't need to be solved. She can tell me about the dream, but it's a dream. It's not real. There are times where it's more serious than a dream, but it still doesn't have to be a big deal. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're hangry. If you don't know what hangry is, it's you're angry because you're hungry, right? So they marry the words hungry and angry. Maybe you are stressed to the max and something that would not normally bother you does. You need to have good self-reflection there. In fact, I actually have a little uh, series of questions that you can ask yourself that will help you decide how do I best engage this conflict? Because sometimes processing the conflict and saying, look, I'm frustrated right now, but I'm frustrated because of me, not because of something that my spouse did, not because of something that my kids did, my coworker did, whoever, that's processing it and you let the frustration go. And in letting it go, you have processed it to the place where now you can move on. You've engaged it, you've processed it, and you move on. Okay, a few questions that will help you to process your own frustration and decide what's the best way to move forward with it. Do you engage your partner, your spouse, or do you let it go? The first question, and this one seems so basic, but it's an inner reflective question. It is, what is my frustration? I'd encourage people when they're first building this skill, sit down and write it out. What's my frustration? What is it that I'm upset about? What is my pain? What is my discomfort? Write that out. Get it all down on paper. Sometimes just doing that, you look at you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. But then you got to ask yourself another question. And this is right out of my six rules of communication. One of my favorite rules, rule number three, does it have to be a problem? Whatever it is that's my frustration, whatever it is that's my pain, whatever it is that's my discomfort, does it need to be a problem? If my wife did blank, does that have to be a problem? Simply because I'm frustrated about it doesn't mean that it does. This is where wisdom comes in. We have to explore the wisdom side of this and ask ourselves, does this need to be a problem? If we write down yes, we need to have a why. Why does this have to be a problem? It can't be 
I'm mad because my wife did this and it has to be a problem because I'm mad. That's circular reasoning. It's not actually thinking. And we want to apply good thinking to our life. If we write down, no, it doesn't need to be a problem. It might be helpful to write out why there. Why doesn't it need to be a problem? What we're trying to do here is slow the ship down. We're trying to slow our emotions down. We're trying to get to a better understanding of what happened and how we felt about it. Because the next step is to go to our spouse, go to the person that, that we're in the conflict with and marry those two things. Here's facts, here's feelings. Here's what happened, here's what I felt about it. Here's what you said, here's what I felt about it. Here's what you did, here's how I felt about it. It's not here's what you did and that made me feel, it's you did this, I felt that. That's a really important approach because it gives us a way to deal with the conflict in a way that is healthy and safe and helps people engage in conflict without it turning into a bloody brawl. And so we go to our partner, we go to our spouse, and we say, hey, this is what happened, this is how I felt about it. And hopefully they've read my book, they've been to one of my conferences, they know good mirroring, and you engage in a conversation about what happened and about how you felt about it. And then you need to offer a possible solution. Here's what I think I would like to see happen. Could you do this? Could you try this? Could you try that? I'm wondering if you could not do this. I'm wondering if we could do this together. Let's say it's something like, uh, I went to pay a bill and I noticed that you bought another hat uh, and I felt like we should have talked about that first. Could you talk to me before we buy another hat, before you buy another hat? It could be something like, uh, you yelled at the kids and I didn't feel that your intensity the, the, the passion that you brought to disciplining them, to correcting them, matched the, 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 the crime. In other words, I don't feel like the punishment fit the crime, and I'd like for us to talk about that more in the future, but before we give out disciplines. In fact, uh, one of the things I tell people all the time is you can tell your kid all the time, you know what, we know that you're going to be disciplined for this, but I'm going to talk to your mom, I'm going to talk to your dad, and we'll get back to you within 24 hours on what the discipline is. It's not like you have to tell them right then. I mean, not that we want to be our court systems per se, but you get convicted, you rarely get sentenced right then, you know, for serious stuff. There's, there's a whole process that you go through. We want to engage in self-reflection first. What's my frustration? Write it out. What's my hurt? What's my problem? We really want to spend some time thinking about that. And then we have to decide why does this need to be a problem if it does? Why does this not need to be a problem if it doesn't? Then we want to take the facts and we want to take our feelings and we want to marry them together and present them. And then we want to offer a solution. Now, here's the thing. Our spouse may not agree with us that it's a problem. And then we have to have that conversation. Most of the time, I think I would encourage the spouse, you should still work towards a solution. But sometimes there are some of you that might be listening to this. Certainly, I meet some of you who you married a very immature person uh, and they simply are offended by any disagreement, right? You disagreed with me and I felt that was disrespectful. Well, then the question becomes, now it's the listener's opportunity to say, I don't know how to move forward from that unless you tell me, you can tell me what it would look like for me to disagree with you and that not be disrespectful, right? And I've actually had people in the room say, there's no way she could disagree with me. There's no way he could disagree with me without me feeling it was disrespectful. Well, then that's a you problem, not a spouse problem. You have to be able to be disagreed with. This is part of engaging the uncomfortableness of conflict. This is part of engaging the uncomfortableness of growth. This is part of engaging the pain of being told you're not perfect, which everybody laughs at when I say that. And usually the people who laugh the hardest are the ones whose spouses can't tell them anything that's disagreeing without it being disrespectful. 
Maybe your spouse thinks you're just never happy. I meet people like this all the time. It does not matter. They're never happy with a place until they move from it. They're never happy with a chore until it, until something's corrected, right? Uh, I, I had one time, one time a guy was saying, uh, I don't mind helping her around the house. In fact, I think I should. My problem is she goes behind me and redoes it. She's never happy with what I do. And she's like, what am I supposed to be, a cheerleader? Yes. Yes, you are. You are supposed to be a cheerleader of your husband. Husbands, you are supposed to be a cheerleader of your wives. Yes, you are supposed to encourage them. Well, what about when about, no, 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 no whatabouts. You promise to love them and no, no other above all else. That means you love them and you encourage them. And at the same time, you call them to growth. You invite them to growth by engaging in conflict with them. The idea of being a cheerleader is a great conversation piece for another episode. But I, I do, I can't stress this enough. You have to listen. Not every time that we're offended, is it a legitimate offense? Not every time that we're mad, is it a legitimate anger? And so this is where the wisdom comes in. There's times to just say, you need the self-reflection, say, you know what, I'm frustrated, but I just need a good night's sleep and a bowl of chocolate peanut butter ice cream and I'll be good to go. There are other times where maybe you don't come to that conclusion, but your spouse is like, I think you just need a nap and a bowl of chocolate chip ice cream and you'll be good to go. And you have part of being an adult is engaging that process, is listening to the disagreement. That's the thing that makes this so unhealthy, this idea that we have to be comfortable, that we can't have discomfort, that we can't have pain, is we just work so hard to avoid the very things that make us healthy. All right, so here's what I'm hoping you'll do. I'm hoping you'll start engaging in some personal reflection when you're upset. If you're mad at your husband, if you're mad at your wife, you need to ask yourself, literally, what's my frustration? Write it out. And then you have to ask yourself, does this need to be a problem? I have a friend who just spent time in the hospital and it was touch and go. And one of the things we were talking about is the 555 rule, which if you hang out with me at all, I talk about this all the time. If in five days, five hours, five weeks, five months, five years, I'm standing at my wife's grave. Will whatever I'm frustrated about be a problem? If I'm about to go into my grave, will it have been a problem? If the answer is no then, it's probably no now. However, there are some things we need to engage. There are some things that we need to look at and say, hey, this is hurting our intimacy. How do we move forward? So four things. What's my frustration? Does it have to be a problem? Why or why not? What are the facts and the feelings? How do I marry them together and present them that way? This is what happened. This is how I felt. And what are possible solutions? And then the last thing is, you have to be able to tolerate disagreements and still make generous assumptions about your spouse. In other words, my friends who engaged in the 18-month conflict problem solution, they would put it down and it didn't change their generous assumptions of each other. They still believed if we stay engaged in this, we'll solve it. My wife loves me. My husband loves me. We'll figure it out. We'll move forward. We'll improve. And they tolerated the stress of the disagreement because they knew if they engaged in problem solving, they would eventually be able to solve it. Even if it takes 18 months, even if it takes 24 months, 36 months, whatever it takes in the context of their whole life, it was worth it. They were fighting for something. They were fighting for intimacy. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, uh, I would love for you to give me a rating in either the uh, Google app of your choice that you listen through or the iTunes store. Share it with a friend. Uh, write in. Let me know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Info at joemartino.com. I-N-F-O at joemartino.com. We'll catch you next time.